You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to episode 160 of the Apple Insider Podcast. I'm Victor, and joining me is Neil Hughes. Victor, how's it going? I need to catch my breath. <laughs> <laughs> wow. No, I am doing great. How are you? I'm doing all right. Can't complain. We talk a lot about these different kinds of things, and we, we get into the minutia of what Apple's doing and what their profits look like and, and all of these things. And sometimes I like to take a step back and just hear from our listeners and hear about what their experiences are and what are the things they're confronting as they use this stuff. And that's the sort of thing that we would do 10 years ago or 15 years ago as Apple users because we were a much smaller group of people. Right. And and so we would be much more focused on forming a sense of community and helping each other out. But it still happens from time to time. And I'm always heartened to see it. So if, if there's a listener out there that wants to send us email or tweet at us and tell us about the kinds of things that you're seeing and confronting or, or working through as you make your buying decisions, you know, do you get the iPhone 10? Do you get the iPhone 8 plus? Do you go for a home pod? What are the things that you're thinking about? We'd love to talk with you about those things. And we'd love to be able to talk about them on the podcast. Now, along those lines, I've got a letter from a listener a little bit later on, but, um, Let's get through the news. Sure. So we ran a story that says that, that Apple is an incredible money-making machine. You published this this morning, this very mm-hmm. morning, that the Apple iPhone has captured 51% of global smartphone revenue. Yeah. Um, this is the latest uh, data from Strategy Analytics, so you can never really know 100% for sure because – uh, there's a lot of numbers being fudged around and uh, different companies report different things. So they do their best sort of estimates. But uh, their latest data shows that for the first time ever, uh, Apple captured more than 50% of revenue. So you're looking at them holding the lion's share of the global smartphone industry well ahead of Samsung. Um, and it's really mostly just a two-horse race at this point. But uh, the market is bigger than ever, and Apple is a bigger share than ever of that market. Uh, they are doing extremely well and really driving the average selling price of smartphones higher with the launch of the iPhone 10 last November. Uh, you saw Apple's average selling price spike to almost $800. Um, and that really is kind of a game changer for the industry. And so, you know, there's a question of how much blood can you get out of the stone in terms of growth? Um, I think Apple realized very smartly um, not too long ago that uh, in Growth is not necessarily where they're going to find in terms of unit sales. Uh, they can push more into the higher end of the market for people that want those kind of devices. And we've talked about this many times on the podcast. Is why you see them diversifying uh, their uh, lineup and appealing to all kinds of broad markets um, from low end to high end. But consumers clearly, uh, in terms of buying iPhones, gravitate toward the higher end of the market. And so that's where you're seeing these higher average selling prices, and that's where you're seeing that Apple's share of revenue continues to grow. And so Strategy Analytics put out this data this week uh, declaring Apple, quote, an incredible money-making machine. Um, And it's pretty hard to dispute that. Yeah, no, it's interesting. You know, as you mentioned, there are two different ways to think about growth. There's, There's this growth in terms of revenue, or there's growth in terms of units in people's hands. Right, you could be Samsung and have many more phones out there in people's hands, but those phones have a lower average selling price, and so Samsung makes mm-hmm. less by revenue, right? And and so Apple here is raising their price and placing value on on taking more of that money and having that customer that's willing to spend more, which is not a bad customer to have. 
Interesting, you know, I, I was thinking about this as you were speaking, that historically, years ago, before we had iPhones, mm -hmm. when it was just the Mac, that people always complained that the Mac was too expensive. And, and Mac fans talked about how uh, market share didn't matter because, the, you know, yes, the Mac was a very right. low part of market share, but that they had a quality machine, that they had quality service from, from a quality company, and that all of those things mattered more than whether or not the Mac led PC or not. And here I'm seeing that kind of flipped around where the the instead of chasing the lower cost machine like the Mac Mini or bringing down the price of the Power Mac or bringing down the price of a PowerBook kind of thing, which were things that Apple did over time to make them more accessible to more people, here the price is going up. Does that make it less accessible to to No, because as I said, you know, they have a very broad product lineup and so consumers that are buying the iPhone are clearly gravitating toward the high end, but you can go get a very capable A9 powered iPhone SE with, you know, 60 or 32 gigs of storage and a 12 megapixel camera for $350 unlocked at the store. <laughs> so, uh, consumers, you know, with the average selling price at $800 are, are gravitating toward those higher end models, but you know, it's never been more affordable than right now to get into the Apple ecosystem with an iPhone and an iPad. So, um, it's a little different there, I think. Um, you know, the news just came out this week that the Mac, uh, at least the MacBook line, um, moved up for the first time ever to the number four largest notebook lineup in the world. Uh, that's the highest that Apple's ever been ranked. So, I mean, the Mac is doing well, obviously, but um, it's still only 9% of Apple's revenue. If you look at the numbers um, in, in the stories that we ran uh, this week, you know, the financial focus stuff, um, you're looking at uh, in in the next year, um, they are projected that the HomePod, the combination of HomePod, Apple Watch, and AirPods will be making more money than the Mac. So you see where kind of the, the writing is on the wall. And this really upsets a lot of old school Apple fans because Apple at the end of the day is a business and they need to make money and they need to give consumers what they want. And the Mac is less and less a part of that picture. Now, that doesn't mean it's going away. The Mac is still 9% of their revenue. It's a, For any other company, they would kill to have those kind of numbers, you know. Um, but you see why the focus is so much on the iPhone. Uh, you're looking at 63% of their revenue coming from one product lineup. And so that's why they continue to diversify and expand to all price ranges that they could possibly get into. Because there's never been a more expensive iPhone than there is right now, but it's never been more affordable to get an iPhone than it is right now, too. And, you know, with the expectations that the iPhone SE is going to get an update in the next few months, um, they're clearly going to continue that multi-pronged approach to the market. And I wish that they would do more with the Mac in that respect. You know, the Mac Mini was originally introduced as the most affordable way to get into the Apple lineup, right? Uh, under $500, you could get the first Mac Mini. Um, and what what have they done with that in the last, you know, six, seven years? Nothing. Uh, and, and it's a shame, you know. It would be really cool to see a Mac Mini the size of a little Apple TV, uh, you know, with Thunderbolt 3 and, uh, you know, the ability to connect wireless keyboard, mouse, and get an Apple-built monitor and, you know, get your get your whole setup done for on the cheap, have a really great desktop system that's pretty capable, um, you know, support for eGPU, that sort of stuff. You could do all kinds of really neat stuff. Yeah. And, you know, the Mac Mini, when it came out, was such a breakthrough in terms of getting people on board the Mac that hadn't even mm -hmm. considered it as an option before. Uh, the, the idea that all you had to do was bring your keyboard, video, and mouse 
was was kind of a big deal. And it turned out that it enabled businesses that hadn't even existed before, mm-hmm. like Mac Mini Colo, where you could go ahead and co-locate a server on a Mac Mini. It, it led them to introduce a Mac Mini as a server product, even. It was a kind of really cool thing that they hadn't even thought yeah. would happen. Yeah, and, and I, it, w- it would be nice, and I know that they keep saying that they're going to revisit it, um, but it would be nice to see them revisit it in earnest because I think that you could see that share of revenue grow from the 9% where it's at now. I mean, certainly it's never going to get to iPhone levels. They're never going to sell that many Macs. That's just, that's the end of it. Uh, but I think if they could revisit that and sell a quality $500 machine where you kind of bring your own keyboard, mouse, and monitor, um, I think that there's a market for that. Just as I think that the 12-inch MacBook really needs to hit that sub $1,000 price point that the MacBook Air continues to linger around at. Um, they really need to find a way to get to those lower price points in addition to continuing to off higher, offer higher uh, price points. You saw that with the new MacBook Pro as well. The touch bar was just too expensive. And so Apple has continued to expand uh, the lineup and and offer the low-end 13-inch model without the touch bar to get to those lower price points. And, uh, you know, I, I think that, that that's in Apple's best interest uh, long-term for all of its product lineups. There's, you know, there's talk of a HomePod mini, so to speak, uh, maybe coming down the pike later this year or next year. I, I don't know if that's actually going to happen, but you, you and I have talked about it, that $350 for the HomePod, uh, while a great value for what it offers in comparison to the competition, is still too high for a lot of people to buy into that space, especially if they want to compete with the likes of Amazon and Google that are really going on the cheap end. Certainly not saying that Apple should be selling a $50 model, but uh, I think that if they got under the $200 price point, that that would do them some good. $100 is an impulse purchase. Right. It is. You you can walk into Target or Walmart or any one of the stores stores around and drop a hundred dollars on something and not feel too bad about it. If you make it one hundred and thirty dollars, that gives some people pause to think for a moment, but it's still possible. Mm-hmm. One hundred and fifty bucks is probably where they would price such a thing. Yeah, you look at what they did with the Apple TV. You know that used to be an impulse buy ninety nine dollars, and they've gotten away from that. Um, I don't know that that's done them any favors. Um, I think that that may have hurt their market share as, you know, Roku and, and Fire TV and, and Chromecast have uh, have really taken the low end of that market. I'm very happy with my Apple TV. I like it a lot. But, you know, I thought that they were smart when they kept the uh, previous generation model around for $80 or whatever it was. And then they kind of silently. 69 $69. Yeah, they, they kind of silently discontinued it. And, and uh, I think that's a shame. Um, and I would like to see, just as they've done with the iPhone, an expansion of options. If you want the $200 uh, high-end, really great 4K Apple TV, have at it. Um, and if you want to just get in and have the Apple TV experience, something simple, um, you just need HD, um, and you just need the basics, Netflix, and access to your iTunes library and stuff, I, I would love to see a sub-$100 price point for that product and and unfortunately they abandoned it and that's something i'd like to see them you know refocus on and get back to not just with the iphone but with all their products absolutely you know that was what was great about that 69 dollar apple tv third generation was that it's, it's obviously did netflix and tulu but when amazon prime released prime video for apple tv for the fourth generation it also appeared on the third generation devices and so that device serves a lot of needs. If you have an Amazon Prime account, you're taken care of. If you have Hulu, you're taken care of. If you have Netflix, job done. Uh, it, it really addresses a pretty wide swath of the core 
TV streaming audience right there. You know, and it's got the outliers like Crackle and some of those things. It's got HBO on it. So it's it's a good, strong device for people who don't need to have the TVOS app store. Right, exactly. And for most people, they just want access to Hulu and Netflix and whatever. Well, we'll get back to that a little bit. We're going to talk about HomePod more in just a moment. But I wanted to mention, uh, so Warren Buffett has been, you know, his philosophy for investing, he said for years, is that if he would be willing to own the whole company, then he's happy to own shares of it. If he's not willing to own the whole company, he doesn't own shares of it. Right. And he has just raised his stake in Apple to uh, 165.3 million shares. <laughs> nice to be rich. Sorry, I'm a little staggered by that. Um, <laughs> he He's dropped about 94.5% of their IBM holdings. And they they still have, obviously... Some of those those IBM holdings, they got four point five percent of their holdings are IBM, but uh, they um, no, not four point five percent of their holdings are IBM. Four point five percent remaining of their holdings of IBM. But yeah, they have about twenty seven point seven billion dollars worth of Apple as of trading yesterday. Yeah, it's something. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot of uh, volatility with Apple lately, and, and the market in general, obviously. Um, there are a lot of investors who are focused on Apple as a growth stock, and they obviously cannot grow forever, um, even though they continue to make money hand over fist. So as we've talked about here many times, uh, Wall Street is kind of a sideshow joke when it comes to actually investing in companies for what they're worth as opposed to what the market wants. So, uh, you know, there are smarter people than me that make money on the market. Um, I, I don't invest in any specific tech stocks or anything like that. Um, I'm just an observer, uh, but you know, obviously Warren Buffett has uh, earned his place as uh, one of the more respected guys on Wall Street, um, and he seems to know what he's talking about. So I'm sure that makes feel inve- investors feel a little more confident um, in times of volatility when uh, he buys in so heavily to Apple. Yeah, and you know, you can see who how Apple's established their place in the market. You can see who their competitors are, and you can see how close or far their competitors are in terms of chasing them. So knowing all those things and knowing a little bit about where Apple's trying to go in the future should tell you whether or not this is kind of an investment that makes sense. And for him, it obviously is one that makes sense. Let's get to the main event. Let's talk HomePod. (laughs) So the the, the lead into this is before we talk about the reviews and the other things, Apple Watch, AirPods, and HomePod, uh, they're predicted to rake in about $22 billion in revenue by 2019. Yeah, that's what I was saying. They're probably soon going to be bigger than the Mac. Um, I, I don't think that the HomePod is going to be the biggest chunk of that. The expectation is that the Apple Watch will be um, higher volume, higher margin. But the AirPods are a big part of that too. Uh, but HomePod will contribute. And the reason all those are lumped together is because Apple doesn't give specific sales figures for those devices. They have historically given specific sales for the iPhone, iPad, Mac, um, but they do not give specific sales for iPods any longer, uh, Beats headphones, AirPods, that sort of stuff. So it's all lumped into a category called other products. Um, and if you watch Apple's uh, numbers every quarter, that other products continues to grow. Uh, and I think the biggest piece of that pie is the Apple Watch and continues to do very well. But certainly HomePod will be a contributor going forward. Absolutely. I mean, the Apple Watch is set to swallow up all of the Swiss watchmaking industry as a whole. It's going to be bigger in terms of numbers. Mm-hmm. 
than Swiss watches. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty impressive that they can get that many people to spend that much money on a watch. Um, you know, I would be curious to see uh, what the average selling price is, what models people are going for, how many people are getting the the you know uh, old series one model that continues to be sold um, at a discount price, or uh, you know who's opting for the newer model with LTE that sort of stuff. So um, I, I don't know what they're selling at. Um, certainly, they came in pretty aggressive with the high-end edition gold models, at, you know, up to $15,000, and then quickly scrapped that and went for the ceramic ones. But I think they've been feeling their way around the market and seeing what's what works and what does not. Yeah. All right. This is the main event. The main event is your <laughs> HomePod review. Yes. Tell me about it. Uh, so I came away of, of two minds about the HomePod and, um, you know, obviously when you write for an Apple website, uh, people are going to be very upset when you don't love everything that Apple does. I'm outraged. Uh, <laughs> we are obviously an independent website <clears throat> and our duty is to our readers first and foremost, but not just the most loyal Apple fans, but also people that just are curious about certain products and whether it's right for them. And so I try to write my reviews with that in mind, but also to be honest about, you know, how I feel um, and how it fits into my lifestyle. And so it's difficult because I don't like to make myself the centerpiece of a review. I don't like to talk much about myself. I'd rather just be kind of anonymous and just kind of put it out there and, and give an honest assessment and You're then humble. be done with it. <laughs> I, I've, I never got into this business in an attempt to be a personality. I can assure you of that. Um, so anyhow, but the problem with this product was the way that I listen to music and the way that I use speakers and AirPlay and Siri is so specific to me and the things that appeal to me about the HomePod and the things that I don't care about with the HomePod um, weigh so much on my thoughts about the product that uh, I had to really get into that personal side of what HomePod is for me, what I want it to be, how I use it, where I see it going, etc. Um, and so this is one of the more personal reviews that I've written, just because I think that that weighs so much. And I, and I hope that when somebody reads it, you know, they're not dwelling so much on, on my taste in music or anything else. Really, uh, they're just focused on whether or not my take on it is applicable to them, because I think some people are going to get a HomePod and absolutely hate it. And some people are going to get a HomePod and just adore it. And they may have very different use cases than the other person that lead to that, you know, somebody looking for, uh, personal assistant that's going to give them the weather and tell them jokes and stuff like that uh, may not be as happy with the HomePod as somebody who just wants a really easy to use plug and play quality sounding speaker. So it's a, it's a complicated product and in much the same way, you know, that the, the Apple watch um, recently took some time to find its footing as for what its strengths were and why you would want one. Um, I think that there's going to be some growing pains with the HomePod. And if you know what you're getting uh, and you really want a, a quality speaker that's just easy and you can just put it in a room and just use it and it sounds great, I think you'll be very happy with the HomePod. Um, but if you're looking for something a little smarter, a little more advanced, um, or even a little more technical, um, you're you're probably going to be lacking on this and may want to wait uh, until those inevitable future software updates come and, and add functionality to this, which I think is just uh, assumed to be in the works at this point. But, you know, I, I came away of two minds about the product. I love it for its design, its sound, its simplicity. 
Um, and I hate it for its reliance on Siri. I just absolutely find it to be a frustrating experience a lot of the time. Okay. Uh, so I ended up giving it a 3.5 out of 5 in the end. How, and, how uh, are you on Apple Music? Because it also is somewhat reliant on Apple Music. I don't use Apple Music, but I do use iTunes Match. So um, I'm about as... Aside from an Apple Music subscription and a Beats 1 listening habit, I'm about as all-in as you can get on the Apple ecosystem. I buy most of my albums from iTunes when I buy digitally. Sometimes I'll buy from other sources like uh, you know Bandcamp or something like that. Um, or I buy a lot of vinyl and I get digital download codes and then I'll upload the digital copy to my iTunes Match account. So I don't have access to all music. So there are certain weird things like if you say, hey, you know who, play some music. Um, it'll just start playing all of your music as opposed to if you have an Apple music account, then it starts playing your favorites or things that it thinks are your favorites. I don't know why it can't do that with iTunes match or just an iCloud music library. Uh, that seems odd to me. And then another thing that uh, somebody in the comments, uh, said worked for them, but did not work for me was I kept trying to have the home pod play the latest album by an artist. So I don't know the names of albums a lot of times, and I like to listen to albums from start to finish. I don't want to just listen to random songs from an artist. Um, I don't want to listen to a playlist. I want to listen to an album start to finish the way that the artist intended. But, you know, I listen to a lot of music, and, and I can remember artist names, but I can't remember the name of an album. I don't know what the name of the album is. It's just kind of like I'll scroll through my music library, and I'll recognize the art and go, yeah, that one, and then play it. So I found myself trying to talk to the HomePod and say, play the latest album by... And it turns out that command just doesn't work. And I don't know why. Um, and then somebody in the comments said that they have Apple Music and it works fine for them. So I guess if you pay Apple $10 a month and you can get better Siri functionality, I, I don't know. All of my albums have years on them. You know, it, even then it should just default to the one that was most recently added to the library. It has timestamps on all these files. So yeah. I can't I can't imagine why it doesn't work. But to me, stuff like that is so basic and so simple that is frustrating when it doesn't work. Look, we, we know that there are a number of Siri fails. We know that Siri doesn't get the right answer, whether it's answers that it needs to search the web for or answers that it should just know locally based on your music collection. Siri's got problems. They have to address this. A bunch of people in the in the comments on my review were angry and said that I should have given the product two scores. One as a speaker and a music listening device, and the other one as a personal assistant. And these people are inevitably Apple fans who want the product viewed in the way that is favorable to the product. Well, they, There's they, a problem. No, no, no. no. <laughs> they want the product viewed in the way that Apple is pitching the product. And Apple well, is pitching the product as a fantastic speak. quality music speaker first. And by the way, it's also got an assistant. And here's the problem with but that that's logic. that's wrong. <laughs> Here, here's the problem with that logic. You, the primary way of interacting with the device is by talking to Siri. So by saying that you have to rule out the smart functions of it is not fair because even if I were to ignore the fact that it can't do basic things like set two timers or really talk to my phone in a meaningful way or communicate with third-party apps, I still have to talk to the stupid thing to get it to play music unless I want to pull out my phone. And it doesn't understand me like half the time. And part of it, and this is again why I got kind of personal in the review, because part of it may be that I listen to a lot of lesser known and obscure artists. Having said that, the stuff is not really that hard to, to pronounce or figure out. And so, you know, I was doing things like play the latest album by and then say and it would just play all the songs by. Okay, fine, that, that works. But then I had the name of the album wrong on one case. So the, I was uh, looking to play an album, the latest album by a band called The Go Team. And so I was telling the HomePod, 
uh, play the latest album. And it just said, okay, playing all songs by, and then it, none of them were the latest album. Okay, fine. So I'll try again. So I was trying to remember the name of the album without pulling out my phone. And I said, uh, play Mayday by the GOAT team. And the first choice was, uh, I think, 18 Visions, which is like a very loud, hardcore band, which is not nearly the same genre, even close. It doesn't even sound like what I was requesting. Mayday by the GOAT team somehow turned into 18 Visions. So, um, so it misheard you in that case. And then I asked again a second time um, to play Mayday by the Go Team, and it said uh, that uh, it was playing uh, Tame Impala as an artist. Um, not even close, again. And then so I pulled out my phone, and it turned out that the, the problem was me. I, I was saying the wrong album name. I was saying uh, Mayday when, in fact, the first song on the album is called Mayday, and the album name is actually Semicircle. Um, but... But, but here's where the thing is, to... is that it should know, right. they should have thought of the idea that you are placing the importance on the artist name. And so within the priority of the artist name, it should then find things that match or are close, as opposed to placing the priority on the first search term, which was Mayday. I, I don't right? know where it got those connections. I don't know. You know, and, and the thing is, it, it, it seems, Siri seems more aggressive on HomePod. So it used to be... That it would say, um, it <laughs> oh, used to say, she's assertive now. <laughs> it, w- it would say, I don't, I don't know, or I can't find that. But now it just goes, well, this is probably close enough, and then just throws something out there. So right, I was trying I would, to. I would argue that that's the right answer, and I'll tell you why. I think that if you put this product out there in the world, and you shipped it out, and you gave it to reviewers, and you put it in people's hands, and their experience was comprised of. A, I don't know, or would you like to search the web, or I can't find that, or any of these these definitely not encouraging statements, right? That that would be the joke on Saturday Night Live, that would be everyone's impression, that Siri is a smart speaker who doesn't know anything, right? So here they've decided to short-circuit that, to prevent that from happening, by simply, they've asked for music, we don't know what music, but we're going to play something. And they do it so that you don't get this Siri doesn't know anything response parodied everywhere. You, you know, um, like my wife came home from work last week and I just set up the home pod. It was Friday and she's like, how does it work? And so I put out a request and I, I wanted to play a new album that I just got from a band that I saw a few weeks ago uh, called fruit and flowers. So I put in a request for that and I said, okay, playing LCD sound system. And it's like, these don't even sound alike. Like they're not even close. I didn't, and it wasn't even, I didn't even ask for an album. I just asked for the artist name because I only have one album by them. And it just, it just, it's not even close, like not even in the same ballpark. I don't know. I don't know where it comes up with these conclusions, uh, where these artists names are, are being mixed up and they really need to have some sort of a way to train it to understand. Um, uh, like I have a, a artist called La Luz that I'm seeing this weekend and I wanted to listen to them the other day. And if I spell it out and I say, play artist L A L U Z, it goes, okay, playing La Luz. But if I say play La Luz, it doesn't understand. It tries to play something else every single time. It, it does not understand that. And it's like, you you know how to pronounce it because I hear you say it back to me. I know that we're pronouncing it the same way. Um, so first of all, it gave a bad demonstration for your wife. Yeah. Which not was n- not, not a fantastic first impression there. And second of all, so my, my experience in my house is if I have something set up and it fails either in the demonstration or in the first time that someone on the house besides me tries to use it, that that is it. No one else tries to use these things ever again. <laughs> yeah, you get one shot. Is that the same thing with your wife? Is that is that also true in your house? 
she hasn't really used it very much. Um, I don't know how much of that is because she, um, I, I don't know if that's because she wasn't involved in the setup process or, or what, but I mean, it's only been a week. Uh, I imagine that, you know, it'll be integrated more into our life as we go. Um, I've been using it a lot for HomeKit, which is great, uh, but I know the specific commands that it wants for HomeKit and everything is easily pronounceable. Right. It this all is falls another apart. thing that I am disappointed in with HomeKit and Siri is that if I tell it that I want to turn, if, if I have one smart door lock and I've named it door, I should be able to say open the front door and it should also understand that that might be the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. Having to know the exact names of the devices throughout your house is, is kind of a burden and it doesn't help you. The, the idea is that these smart assistants are supposed to be able to take the imprecise language input and handle it. And by requiring specific naming like that, it falls apart. The funniest uh, example was, uh, and you weighed in on the comments on this too, because <laughs> internet commenters, don't get me wrong, I, I love everybody that reads Apple Insider and, and I love the passion and enthusiasm that people have when they when they come no, to the don't. comment section. No, I, I really do. You I, hate I gen- them. No, I, I genuinely do and I enjoy engaging the comments. But what people don't understand is sometimes when we go in and we try to clean up the comments or we try to fix it, uh, there are certain people that come in and just derail the discussion and it just goes down a road to talking about things that don't really they matter. Bring, they bring in a flaming bag and leave it there in the comment section for everyone to look at. And the worst part is when it's one of the first comments on the article, it's the first thing everybody sees. And if you come to the comments and don't comment yourself, you just read them and you just see it immediately get derailed. You're like, oh, geez. You know, and it's like there's no intelligent discussion you, being had. You walk away. You go elsewhere. And so in my review, and I wrote many words about the HomePod and one sentence just to laugh about how silly Siri can be sometimes, um, I was trying to play a band called Patio and I played the band and Siri understood and played the band. But the problem was uh, Siri tells you what she's about to play before it starts playing. And so she goes, okay, Siri, play artist Patio. Okay, I'm playing Patio. Yeah, she she says, I've just given away your joke. I'm sorry. I'm playing. I'm playing Patio. Not patio, patio. And it's like, I've never heard that pronounced that way. Uh, Somebody in the comments had to weigh in and say that that's the way that it's apparently pronounced in Spanish, even though my wife speaks Spanish as her first language and said that that's not entirely accurate because it has a different number of syllables in Spanish, neither here nor there. Uh, the, The fact of the matter is there should be some sort of way for Siri to learn and some sort of option for you to say, okay, you're saying that wrong, or you're hearing me wrong, or I want you to learn this phrase. There needs to be some sort of programmable, customizable way of saying, get this right. I know they do it with names and stuff on your contacts. Well, but that's also inconvenient. Right. That's also, and, and also fraught with problems. I mean, if you could say, hey, Siri, pronounce patio, patio, and it would get it, and it would say, okay, I'm learning that now. Yeah. That would be fine. Because I have a friend whose name is Eyal. Mm -hmm. And... If you try and and tell Siri to dial Eyal, she doesn't get it. And if she does slightly understand it at all, she pronounces it eel. Yeah. Well, I don't want to call an eel. I don't need an electric eel. I want to call my friend Eyal. And I have tried to put it in phonetically. I have tried to create a nickname. I have tried to sort this thing out. And um, in, in the end, I've just given him an American-sounding name that I know is his <laughs> name when I want to call him, which is dumb. But Siri doesn't know how to pronounce it. Yeah, and never will. And and that's what's so frustrating. Um, you know, I <laughs> another one I was – there was a mashup album I tried to play uh, called Wugazi. It's a 
combination of the Wu-Tang Clan and Fugazi. And the first time it tried to play Tame Impala, I guess it likes to play that a lot. And then the second time it tried to play songs by the artist Fugazi, which I understand. I mean, they sound very similar at that point. They're just one letter off. Um, but it's it still, there should be a way for me to say, no, no, no. I want you to learn this band name so that in the future I can easily play it. There's got to be some sort of a training thing added to it because everybody's going to have their own. It's, it's, there's no way that Apple could possibly program every artist that's ever existed for everybody's obscure music libraries. You know, they can go in and manually make sure it understands Lady Gaga. But I have I have the solution, Neil. Yeah. Just as Apple gave us the U2 album. Yeah. Apple can give us Eddie Q's iTunes library. Oh, Okay. And we can just happily everyone listen to the things that Eddie Q listens yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, great. Can't wait. Gonna, and then Siri will understand every one of them. It'll be perfect. It's going to be lots of Coldplay on there. I'm kind of okay with that. Are you? Coldplay is terrible. Stop it. <laughs> Please. Good Lord. No. Uh, no, thank you. Uh, oh, fine. <laughs> no, and, and again, I don't want this to devolve into, you know, artists that you listen to who has more street cred when it comes to music or whatever. The simple fact of the matter is... You have to use Siri to interact with this thing in a meaningful way. And I have found myself using my phone to select artists to then use the HomePod as an AirPlay speaker rather than speaking to the HomePod. I find myself speaking to it more for HomeKit controls and not speaking to it for music controls because I don't know the name of the albums. And when I try to guess the name of the album, I can't get it right. And even when I do know the name of the album, I can't get it to work. And so it's just too many points of failure at this point. And so it's really disingenuous to say you should review this product with different scores for different functionality, because you could say that about any of Apple's products. You know, the first iPhone should have been given three scores. One as an Internet communicator, one as a telephone and and one as a as a widescreen iPod. You know, like, come on, just because a product does multiple things doesn't mean that it should be graded on a curve on certain parts of that. It's yeah. a great speaker. It's a great, simple speaker. It sounds very good. Um, it's not going to be the best sounding speaker you've ever heard, but it's $350 for something that you can just put in your house and have it fill the room and sound fantastic. So, you know, so here, here's my concern. Yeah. I am kind of concerned by the notion that this thing was released too early. And, and I say that based on the Siri interaction and control part of it. Yeah. And, you know, the old Apple, and, and I hate to say it, but, you know, if Steve were still around now, but the old Apple would have told us repeatedly that they don't release things until they're ready. And well, how old is Siri now? Old enough to know better. <laughs> That's the point. Old enough to be sent so to a room. You at can't this really point say you can't really say that they don't release it until it's ready because Siri's been around a long time. And still has all these problems. Yeah. So and and that's a problem no, I, because of Apple's data collection policies and the fact that they put the consumer first. And so the thing that is in many ways Apple's greatest strength and the reason that I'm willing to put a HomePod in my house and not an Amazon Echo is ironically the thing that holds them back. Because yes, but I don't as a consumer I don't have to care why it's not working. Sure. It's just freaking Absolutely. not working. Absolutely. So I, I want to move quickly to a reader review of HomePod. Okay. We were sent an email yeah. and you, you, you saw this email. Yeah. This is from one of our listeners and I really like this guy a lot. And so he starts off by saying that he's an Apple guy through and through. He has been since 87. He is returning his HomePod and he is highly disappointed, which are, are uh, sharp words. Highly disappointed. We don't take that lightly. It sounds fantastic. It's outstanding, but the implementation is awful. Now, he, he knew it was an Apple device going into it. He knew there was no way to get external audio into the device other than over AirPlay and things like that. He got over that. Uh, he's got an Apple TV-based living room. This is fine. 
but he's having difficulty with the way that iOS handles AirPlay. If you're using an application that uses the video or the TV app, mm. the iOS device thinks that you're moving both the audio and the video to the AirPod, which means you get the audio coming through the speaker, but a black screen with an AirPlay symbol, mm-hmm. which is not optimal at all. I <laughs> And, you know, it, it seems like they ought to be able to do the kind of thing that an Apple, that a Google Chromecast does where you can tell a Chromecast to do something on the TV and it goes ahead and opens it on the TV. So you ought to be able to have the audio route to the AirPod and the video route to an Apple TV, for example. I mean, it needs to tie it more into the ecosystem in general. You know, we've talked about this before. I think we talked about it last week. There's no reason that I can't say, you know, send directions to this place to my phone and then I walk out the door and then 10 minutes later I pull out my phone and I can see where I'm going, you know, like... Well, and they already do that with the Maps application on uh, Mac OS. If you're going ahead and, and locating directions on Mac OS Maps, it sends it to and your phone. And all this stuff is connected. You know, there's no reason that I shouldn't be able to say, I want to watch something on TV, have it dim the lights, have it turn on the Apple TV. The Apple TV is HDMI CEC connected, so it can turn on your TV and switch it to the right input. And then, you know, it should just be able to load the right app. And, and you know, the TV app uh, integrates with things like Netflix and whatever. If I say I want to watch Stranger Things, right. the latest episode, bam, pop it up. Hulu. Yeah, I want to watch Hulu. I want to whatever. Wait, TV app does Netflix? Uh, well, it does like a li- does it, Yeah, it does kind of a limited. TV app does TV app does Hulu and, and it Prime does Video HBO, and HBO yeah. and a few it, others. It does a limited Netflix inter- integration. But even still, like. Netflix has to get on board. It does, with that, but yeah. but the fact that they have all these pieces in place, they just haven't like put the puzzle together, you know. Um, and you can see yeah. where it's going, and you can see where it's going to be really cool, where you can do all those things, and all the platforms talk to one another, and it's really just um, seamless. You don't think about this is my Apple TV, this is my HomePod, this is my phone, whatever. Um, all the devices talk yeah. to one another. That, that's where it's going. We're just not there yet. All right. Point two of of uh, our mm-hmm. listener letter. It cannot be used to place phone calls. It can be a speakerphone, but you have to place or answer the call on your phone and then route it to the HomePod. You and I did a speakerphone call with it last week. That's literally the only time I used it, and it was so insignificant to me that I didn't even mention it in the review. I, I just don't care. Okay, but when we did that call, um, I called you. From bone conducting headphones. Did you then have to... S- I was using bone conducting <laughs> headphones, which which sounded great to my to the side of my head. I can't say sounded right. great to my ears because they right. weren't in my ears. But um, you know, the, we were confirming that the microphone wasn't amazing. And did you, when you answered the call, have to route it to the iPod? Yep, to I the had to change the audio source, just like you would, you know, yeah. with any other exit, with yep. any other headset. Okay, but you know, if you have the AirPods. You don't have yeah, to do Yeah, you do that. sometimes. I mean, it'll pop up and say, what what audio source do you want? Okay, but if you can you, but you can use, have the AirPods and place the call directly yes. over them. So the AirPods are a little bit better for placing phone calls than the HomePod is. I mean, I guess if you talk. I'm just trying to clarify and make sure that we're, we're agreeing with our listener letter here. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go ahead and move sure. on to the next point. This this is one that that is also just one of these details, right? Uh, it works with iTunes on the Mac, but he could not set it as a destination for all system audio. I don't know why he couldn't. I can. Okay, so you can you uh, you what you option click on the speaker at the top well, of the menu I, I can, bar I can, and set your I can do it through Airfoil. To, okay, right. So if you have Airfoil as a third party thing on your your Mac, you can go ahead and do that. Yep, um, and that's how I did the record player tip too. 
Now, if I'm in system preferences sound and the output tab... I see regular AirPlay speakers. I'm showing headphones. I see regular AirPlay speakers, but I don't see the HomePod. Okay, so you need to have airfoil in order to be able to Yeah, I don't know why it's blocked out, because I have one, two, three, four, five different uh, AirPlay options on my Mac right now, so my HomePod is technically the sixth, uh, but I don't see that as a system output option. Okay. I'm looking at my list. I have two Apple TVs and a speaker that I was not fully aware was actually an AirPlay oh, yeah. speaker, to be honest. I'm kind of surprised to see <laughs> that there. I have a I have a Jam Voice, which is a Amazon Alexa-enabled Bluetooth Wi-Fi portable speaker mm-hmm. device. And so I've always used that as, as a portable Bluetooth speaker and also an Amazon uh-huh. Alexa device. But it's showing up here in system preferences as an AirPlay device, That's which pretty cool. is totally wild to me. I had no idea. Literally, just discovered now. So I, I would say that point three is mostly true for him because, you know, you expect to be able to do that out of the box and other AirPlay speakers do that out of the box. This one does not. So airfoil is required as a third-party yep. thing to make that work. Um, so his his conclusion was that he felt like it was a speaker for Apple TV only and that the iOS implementation and the implementation in TVOS were... You know, he felt the TVOS implementation was complete and functional. The iOS implementation was half-baked, and macOS was was not baked at it's all. It's not meant as a home iTunes. theater speaker anyhow, so who cares if it'll connect to your Apple TV? Well, I mean, if you want really good sound out of it, it's, it's but not a bad you, answer. But if you're watching TV, you want distinct channels anyhow, so... <laughs> I mean, film has had stereo. Mm, film I mean, and television the, have had stereo sound for a very long time, and at the base, you want at least you know two point one sound for a good quality. But you know, from like for example, my setup is five point one sound, and you can go as high as like nine point two sound now. Two. So you know, yeah. I, I I have a seven point two receiver, and I'm the, the honest truth is I only have two point one connected. I have a, a seven point two receiver, and I have five point one connected. So. I, I was going to do the rear channels and and add a center channel to it, and I was getting ready to do it, and my wife just said, don't bother. <laughs> and the truth is 2.1 yeah, service fine. is fine. But you, you do want distinct channels left and right when you're watching television. Um, you know, even a sound bar stretches the distance to have some space between them. Um, you know, I, I, so how is HomePod at, at beam forming to get somewhat stereo separation? It's not stereo separation at all. It's really just uh, it's sound that fills the room. But when you have something that small, you can't have true stereo sound. You won't be able to do that until they allow that capability with a future software update and AirPlay 2 officially launches. Um, but there was a guy, uh, I got to give a shout out, in the comments. Um, uh, he goes by the name Dick Applebaum. Um, and he... Uh, used airfoil and then created uh he has dual airfoil apps playing stereo one balanced all left the other all right used with two home pods so he's actually getting right now true stereo sound out of two home pods i thought that was really cool yeah it is um right so i am cool with this i'm not going to give away our our listeners full name because i didn't ask permission if i could talk about it but uh I, I really want to thank yeah. this listener for writing in and, you know, I, I know you're out there and I, I want to thank you again because this has been yeah, so Yeah, and we, and we love coming. having those different opinions and that goes, again, back to my review and why I like the HomePod so much. I mean, we spent so much time here complaining about Siri, but the truth is I love my HomePod and the reason that I love it so much is because I love listening to music. I love having good sound. I love the simplicity of it and I am potentially the world's biggest home uh, uh, AirPlay fan. I've been using AirPlay for many years. 
Um, I really enjoy it. And so to have uh, an expansion of the AirPlay lineup um, and to have a new way and knowing that AirPlay 2 is coming, uh, I'm very excited for the future potential of that. My, my Denon receiver does AirPlay. I have AirPlay speakers throughout my house, but uh, I quickly see my HomePod becoming my go-to AirPlay speaker for a lot of reasons, um, including the fact that I assume that Siri is going to get better and I'll be able to talk to it and just it'll work. And then I can use it with HomeKit and say, you know, play music in the kitchen, play music in the bedroom, whatever. Uh, I'm excited about all that. And I, I love, I, I want to have a HomePod in every room in my house. I want to have multiple ones in one room. Uh, it just, it needs to get better. It's just not, it's a great product for an enthusiast like me who is pretty much the quintessential target market for this device. Uh, but uh, it still has a lot of room to grow. But thankfully, with the A8 chip in it, it really does have that room to grow. It has the processing capability that I could see, you know, three years from now, it being a very different product than it is at launch. Yeah, I, I have to tell you, I, for years I pronounced the name of your receiver as Denon, and and you've pronounced it as Denon. Yeah, I have no idea. Well, I figured it out. Okay. The the brand came from a merger of Denki Ankyo, mm-hmm. and so Denon is is the sort of correct pronunciation, or Den. Okay. So it's it's not Denon, but it's Denki and Ankyo. So Denon. Denon. Okay. Is where we go with that. Good to know. Well, they make a great receiver that I'm praying when Apple releases AirPlay two is going to get updated to AirPlay two, and then uh, we'll presumably integrate with HomeKit, and then I can tell it to uh, play music in my living room, and I'm very excited about that. So what kind of furniture do you have your HomePod on? <laughs> a wooden table, and it does not have a ring on it. Okay. Now, why would it have a ring on it? <sighs> the material that Apple used on the bottom where the subwoofer sound comes out uh, can have a chemical reaction with some uh, furniture finishes. Polish, yeah. Um, and uh, <laughs> unfortunately, it leaves a ring. Uh, there were some other articles that came out this week that show that the Sonos One does the same thing and leaves a ring. I guess it's just a standard material. It's the same kind of silicone things. material. Yeah, it's unfortunate, and if it messes up your table and and annoys your wife, uh, that's really unfortunate. Um, it's an uh, oversight by Apple. I don't see this as being that big of a deal. Put a coaster under it. I mean, who cares? Um, In other news, Neil Hughes and I will be kick- launching our Kickstarter for HomePod coasters. <laughs> I, I I don't think that this is. A particularly big deal, um, but if it messed up your table, uh, you might be upset about that, and I understand that. But uh, Apple's advice is to move it and polish it and put it on something. So if you're putting it on a wood table and you're worried about it, uh, you know, put a placemat under it. You'll be all right. Right. And the reason that they used this material is because they want to dampen vibrations. They don't want right. the speaker to be buzzing on top of the furniture. They Which want is it not to pleasant. be dampened. And yes. so you need to use some kind of material that will dampen vibrations, and silicone is a reasonably good choice for that. Correct. Except when it leaves marks on your furniture. So <laughs> that's that's the question. And uh, you know, the right answer is to clean the surface with the furniture manufacturer's recommendation recommended cleaning process, and then it should be okay. Some of the testers that tried it said that it didn't really clean it up very much, and they're going to have to resand their table, which is terrible. I'm uh, not going to. I'm not going to. Before you sand a finish, I would be tempted to polish a finish and not polish it with something like a you know a Johnson wax furniture polish kind of thing, but mm-hmm. to polish it with a um, with a light car polish. Mm-hmm. like a scratch removing car polish because that is a very light abrasive that will just take off the top surface without damaging the finish below it and so you know you can um 
you can polish something up and and not have to sand it all. Mm-hmm. You know, sanding and refinishing is annoying. Now, where I would say to be careful with that is if you have an open grain wood, then the polish fills the grain and you have a problem with polishing the grain, you got to get out. But it, right. it's, um, you know, use your best judgment, uh, govern yourselves accordingly. But I would say do less rather than more. And taking sandpaper to wood means you've got to refinish the whole thing, which can be kind of a pain. Right. And and it's a shame that anybody has to do this in the first place. <laughs> Absolutely. So I can see why people would be upset or frustrated about this. It does not affect me, and I can't imagine it's going to affect a lot of people. Mine has been sitting on a wood table since day one, um, and I flipped it over once this came out to see if there were any stains. There are not. All is good. Yeah. Now, Consumer Reports also gave their review of HomePod. (laughs) They did. It's a fact. They did. And they have a history of giving glowing reviews to Apple products. They don't they? I mean they 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 have loved no, I'm sorry, I gotta take that back. They they haven't loved. They used their webpage to get a lot of attention over the iPhone 4 and Attendigate. They have talked at length about the 2016 MacBook Pro where they used a test for battery performance that that made them withdraw their recommendation for the laptop. And they also uh did dramatic testing for the iPhone 10 and found all sorts of unique ways to damage it as a part of their review. And they went ahead and they wrote up and issued their consumer reports HomePod review very quickly after they got the units. Same thing. And, and they gave glowing reviews to the Home Max and uh, the Sonos One. They said that the HomePod sounded worse than the other two. And that flew in contrast to basically every impression that was on the internet. And uh, here's the thing. Consumer Reports is certainly entitled to their opinion. I have no problem with them saying that the Google Home Max is a better speaker. Um, But you have to take it all in context. Uh, They published their impressions declaring quite definitively in a headline that the Home Max sounds better than the HomePod and the Sonos One sounds better than the HomePod. After a day of testing it. Okay. Um, but again, back in 2010, they were the instigators of the so-called antenna gate controversy with the iPhone 4. Uh, a couple of years ago when the MacBook Pro came out, they declared that it had poor battery life, only four hours. And it turned out that they had a developer setting enabled in Safari that was ruining the battery life that they went out of their way to flip on. Um, and then, like you said, the iPhone 10 tumble test, they simulated falling down like 50 flights of stairs or something. And it's like, what? <laughs> like nobody's phone is going through this kind of situation. Anyhow, they have a history of kind of stirring the pot when it comes to Apple products. And they also historically will wait, you know, a month or two after testing something to issue a definitive statement. And this time they did something the day of. And so all those factors combined led to uh, Mike Worthley, uh, who's an editor with Apple Insider, writing an editorial. And I don't want to speak too much on his behalf because it's his editorial. But um, just to summarize his point, uh, you know, Consumer Reports is a history of uh, riling up Apple fans. Um, People that are following closely that are into Apple products don't necessarily take Consumer Reports too seriously because of uh, the antenna gate and everything else that they've done over the years. And on top of that, uh, they usually wait a while and do extensive testing before coming up with a definitive conclusion. But this time they, on the same day, rank the Google Home Max as inferior or as superior to the HomePod. So all of that led Mike to write an editorial, just pointing out all these facts and saying, you know, 
you know, I, what's I, going on here? I want to point out. So they also ranked Sonos One as superior to HomePod. Right. John right. McFarland, who is the founder of Sonos, he, he's retired from his CEO role now, but mm-hmm. but he did that in in last spring. Mm-hmm. He found that one Sonos One against one HomePod, the HomePod was superior. So when the founder of Sonos tells you that the HomePod is the better product, one for one. Well, it costs $150 more. So, I mean... No, no, but I mean, the the, the quality, there's something to be said for this, right? Yeah. So, I, we, when, after Mike published this, after we published this, mm-hmm. Consumer Reports responded on Twitter. No, they, they issued a press release. Go, oh, do tell. <laughs> I'm rubbing my hands together, listeners. Yeah, Consumer Reports issued a press release uh, disagreeing with Mike's editorial, saying that... Uh, uh, that they were disappointed um, and accusing um, Apple Insider and, and Mike specifically of not giving them an opportunity to comment before he ran the editorial. Now, uh, that's Mike also works, not true. Mike works directly for me, and he t- took me through the process. He went to their website. They have a form there where they say all press inquiries should go through. He filled out the form. He put a return email address of news at appleinsider.com, which is how you reach us. Uh, and did not get a response uh, for about 12 hours before we hit the publish button on that and that editorial. So um, I commented, just uh, uh, responded back to Consumer Reports and just said, uh, you know, our editor, Mike Worthley, did actually request comment before this editorial went live. Um, and uh, there is a very clear, proven public uh, uh, number of examples of of consumer reports making controversial decisions when it comes to Apple products, whether or not you disagree with them. Uh, it's not up for debate that they have upset Apple and upset Apple fans many times over the years through what people viewed as unfair assessment of their products. Um, but having said all of that, uh, I welcome the opportunity to talk to consumer reports more. They've certainly never given us comment in the past, but they felt compelled to write an, uh, a press release about us. So, you know, um, I, I would like to go to their labs. Can we go to their labs? I would love to. I would love to work with uh, Consumer Reports. I'd love to find out what they do. Because again, I don't care about their assessment of the HomePod. That doesn't. It doesn't matter to me if they don't like the HomePod. Uh, the problem is, to a lot of people, it looks like they have an agenda. It looks like you know maybe uh, maybe complaining about Apple products puts more eyeballs on on their stuff. I don't know. I don't. I don't know what it is, but. Uh, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. There have been a few instances of this kind of things going on, and it's not new, and it's happened a few times. And uh, I'm not trying to question the credibility of them there or anything like that, but it was odd that they published the same day uh, that the speaker came out with a definitive conclusion, which is not the Consumer Reports style. Usually they take a while to do it. I don't know why they did it that way, and we asked them why, and they didn't really give us a clear answer. So... Um, despite the hue and cry and, and the press release being issued and everything else, we don't really have a clear explanation as to why. They, they even told us they're working on a formal review that's forthcoming. But in their you know first hot take on it the day of, uh, they said that the Google Home Max sounds better and the Sonos One sounds better, even though basically no reviews came to that conclusion. They're the only ones that hold that conclusion. So uh, a little bit of controversy this week. Uh, it was interesting. Um, and I think, uh, hopefully cooler heads prevail in the end. I'm not looking to pick a fight with consumer reports, believe me. Um, but you know, I, I, I just think that, <laughs> I think that, uh, uh, I think that it, they deserve to be called out and questioned for the way that they handled that one. Now you said earlier that you have unique ways of using your home pod, that you listen to music in unique ways. I've been experimenting with it, seeing what I can do with it. So, so how are you getting vinyl? To HomePod. 
So to take a step back, people keep complaining about HomePod and how limited it is and how limited the access to it is. And if you don't have an iPhone, you can't use it. Well, that's not entirely true. Or Apple um, Music. If you don't have Apple Music, you can't use HomePod. Again, I don't have Apple Music. Not I'm entirely just, true. I'm just repeating yeah, I know. the words. I know. I know. Yeah. Um, what people who are saying that don't realize, and as somebody who has used AirPlay for a long time, back when it was known as AirTunes, um, AirPlay has been around for a long time and has been reverse engineered and hacked to death to the point now where there's a whole ecosystem of uh, products and and applications and devices that tap into AirPlay in very interesting ways. Um, and it's a very robust ecosystem, if you know where to look, to really get a great whole home speaker experience and even cheaper than you could with competing services like Sonos. Um, so... I'm a big AirPlay enthusiast and I have a whole home full of AirPlay stuff. And I've done stuff like this in the past, just kind of as a proof of concept, because like you and like many of our readers, I'm guessing I'm just a nerdy guy who likes to go, oh, Speak I wonder if yourself. I could do this. <laughs> I, I, you know, it's, I wonder if I could do this. And then you try it and lo and behold, it works and you get a sense of accomplishment out of that. So anyhow, I have a uh, cheap little record player that was given to me as a gift. Uh, it's a Sylvania record player. Um, it costs like $40 on Amazon. It's not particularly great sounding or high quality record player, but it offers a lot of unique features. It has a built-in speaker. So um, you could just uh, bring it with you and have batteries in it and just play music if you really want to bring your records with you out on the go or something. Um, it has auxiliary out, so you can plug it into other devices or speakers or whatever. But it also has USB out. And it also connects to a Mac with drivers, and you can use it as audio line-in. So if you connect the USB port on the Sylvania player to your Mac, you can then do whatever you want with that audio. So one of the uses that would be obvious would be to have something that was only released on vinyl, and you don't have a digital copy of it, and you want to convert it, you could then play the record, record it, and have a digital copy of it. But one of the things you can do if you get a little clever is use an app like Airfoil, which we mentioned before, which is a third-party app from a great developer called Rogue Amoeba. Yeah, that's and, uh, Paul Kafes's uh, company. They've been around great. for a long time, and they make a lot of great products. But some of the great things that they do are AirPlay related. So I, they I have. Met the, I met them back at MacWorld in the old days, actually. Oh, nice. I, they were. I was tweeting with them uh, a, a few days ago. They were thanking us for writing articles about them, and, and they do great stuff. This is not. They're not paying me or anything like that. I just really think they do a great job. Well, we've also again, talked about it, Audio Hijack and their loopback yeah. applications. But like, yeah, Paul yeah, is yeah. a great guy. Yeah, and uh, they have a whole suite of AirPlay applications. So you can turn um, any device that you have into an AirPlay receiver. You can turn your iPhone into an AirPlay receiver. So start music on one device. So take an old iPod Touch or an old iPhone and have it plugged into something and it would receive music and you could use it as an AirPlay receiver and plug speakers into it or whatever. You can do all kinds of crazy stuff, cool stuff like that. It works on Windows, it works on Mac, and you can get the, the main Linux. AirFoil. And Linux. Yeah. And you can get the main Airfoil app for your Mac, and then you can use any device. And if you wanted, you know, a MIDI controller for an instrument or whatever, and then use that line-in capability with Airfoil to beam any audio to your HomePod. So just as a proof of concept, uh, I did it. Now, I mean, obviously, there's some limitations. There's some lag. There's this. There's that. Um, but it's cool. Um I connected my record player to my Mac, and then I used Airfoil to beam it to my HomePod, and there I was listening to a record player on my HomePod. So for all the naysayers out there who say that the HomePod is limited, and you can't connect it to things, and you can't do things with it, I say that's hogwash. 
I say if you want to get a little clever with it and it doesn't really take much time or effort or money, um, you can do some really cool things and listen to basically whatever music you would want in your HomePod. Uh, there are AirPlay hacks on Android, and if you wanted to use an Android device to stream music to it, you could. Uh, HomePod works very well with AirPlay, and AirPlay has been hacked to bits and uh, un unpacked and, and repurposed in all kinds of cool ways, and it's a lot more connected than you realize. Awesome. Well, next up, we have a very special thing. We have an interview with the number one comedy album on iTunes. We have the comedian himself coming on the show, and that's going to be very special. So I'd like to welcome a very special guest to this segment of the Apple Insider Podcast. Joining us now is Will Abels. And Will is the, the holder of the title for having a number one comedy album on iTunes. Yep. And Hi. Welcome. <laughs> that's That's got to be really cool, seeing yourself in iTunes and seeing yourself alongside other people that, that you, you know, you, you might never think to be in the company of. Oh yeah. That was definitely the, uh, the coolest part. I mean, the original goal was like, all right, let's see if we can break the top 10. Um, because just the names that were surrounding me were so they're, you know, they're your idols and people that you one day hope to become. I mean, it was, uh, like Adam Sandler was on there, uh, John Mulaney, Jim Gaffigan. So I was like looking at those names and I was like, all right, well maybe, maybe the top 10. And then when it debuted at number one, uh, I just couldn't believe it. It was, it was just surreal. But let's, let's back up a little bit because, you know, you said maybe the goal is to, to break the top 10, but before that, how did you get from performing to the goal of making an album? Yeah. Uh, so the way it all kind of came together was uh, I run a show in New York. Uh, it's a monthly stand-up show called Hey Guys, and we were celebrating the uh, one-year anniversary of it. And so we put together this kind of all-star showcase, and then I was going to do a new half hour at the end of it. And a friend of mine who's a musician and a producer, just on a whim, was like, oh, I'd like to record it. You know, I want to practice recording. And so I said, all right, I could, you know, if it comes out well enough, maybe we can release it as like a half-hour album. And the show went well. Uh, the recording was great but I just didn't quite have the set that I wanted. So we booked the whole thing again. We uh, focused only on the album this time. So that was nice. So we separated ourselves from the show from Hey Guys. And it was just a Will Abel's album recording. And I booked a couple different comics, keeping in mind that I needed the energy to be high. And I also didn't need them to steal the show. <laughs> So I, I had to specify uh, who, who we booked based on that. And we brought all the equipment back and I ended up, you know, recording 40 minutes. Uh, got a great crowd in and yeah. And then that was kind of the last easy thing to happen <laughs> <laughs> with the rest of the album release. I, I, I'm sort of hesitant. I kind of think I know where you're going with that. But, um, you know, longtime listeners of, of this program, know that from time to time we've had issues with recording equipment and audio production quality and, and things that we've had to learn how to overcome. So I'm, I'm yeah. sort of, I, I got a, I'm hesitant. And at the same time I have to ask what happened next? Yeah. So then you now we're coming off of the, the recording and just for, um, just so I could hear it before 
my producer before my co-producer sent me the uh, the first recording. I just happened to record it on my phone because I pretty much tape every set on my phone, on my iPhone. And I listened to it. I was like, oh, this is great. This sounds great. I can't wait to hear what it sounds like with actual professional equipment. <laughs> and uh, two days later, I got a, an email from, from him and he was like, hey, you're not going to believe this. Uh, I wasn't... Uh, so he, he had a lot <laughs> – I don't want to throw him under the bus because it's not entirely his fault. Well, he, he had a lot the, of hats the, on. Yeah. The, and the, the thing to remain, remember is that something always goes wrong, and it's not right. exactly necessarily anyone's fault. Like there's nothing intentional, but equipment fails or there's a human error or, or whatever. But there's, there's some, oh, frequently a problem, right? Yeah, and so what happened is he, he emails me and says, hey, so we lost all the audio. Um, I was, he was also filming it and he was like, well, I was filming. I didn't notice that the audio that, uh, was connected to your microphone specifically turned off about halfway through the opener. So we lost all of the audio for an album recording. And, you know, I think in any other scenario or any other comic on the planet would have said, well, we have to record this again, but I'm a fairly unknown comedian, especially in the New York scene. So I didn't think we could fill the room again for a third time that was kind of our big our big hurdle and i was like well let's just see what we can do with the audio from the cameras because we had two or three cameras running and so we took the audio off of that and that's the majority of the album and then because i happened to record it on my phone that was what we ended up using as the uh the constant through through the through the whole uh, editing process so yeah we ended up using my iphone recording and camera recording, the audio from the right. cameras. And and you, you sent me some notes from your co-producer, and, and they say, you know, we used a, a Motu, a Mark of the Unicorn 8 pre-audio interface, which is a fantastic interface, two AKG C214 mics to capture the room sound, and the board mix that had the microphone, mm-hmm. running it all into Pro Tools 12. You know, you're, you're using really top quality gear, right? <laughs> yeah. the, 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 the equipment is not the problem. You've got fantastic equipment. You've yeah. got fantastic mics you've got a fantastic interface you've got all the things that you should have in place yeah and and the first time we recorded it with that exact same equipment the audio was fantastic it sounded incredible i i I was i mean listening to it with him i was like this this is so professional i mean i i feel like beyond my ears in comedy just listening to this so it was so much more disappointing <laughs> the second time around when he was like, yeah, I guess my computer turned off or I actually don't know what caused it to just turn off like that. But yeah, so that's, that's, ended up, that's, that's what ended up happening. So there you have it. You used the iPhone audio for your iTunes album. Yeah, yeah. It actually sounded uh, better than I expected. Better than I expected yeah. for sure. And you know the iPhone itself is a fine recorder. The the thing that it needs to have is a good mic and a good mic interface in front of it to really make it work well. And, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think I'm. We, we can talk more about that offline, but I want to give you some tips and some things that you could do just to have that always in your back pocket. Yeah. No, that'd be great. Um, so the cameras you're using were the Canon 5D. Yeah. Yeah. And so you're it. pulling audio off of those. Wow. Yeah. And the one thing with the with the 5D is that it, and I'm sure you can adjust the settings, but um, we weren't really working with professional uh, cameramen, so <laughs> we uh, it turns off every 12 minutes, 
it stops recording every 12 minutes or so. So that was actually why we were lucky to have recorded it on my iPhone because the iPhone was a straight through 40 minute recording, whereas the cameras, it cuts off about every 12 minutes. So we needed the iPhone to fill in that, that kind of second that we were missing between each one. So you used the camera audio and then filled in with the iPhone audio? Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like a complex edit. Yeah, I mean, it. he put it together in just in one sitting um, because we kind of, we also took it and just had to kind of say, all right, well, we'll brand it as a live album because it was at that point. There's no way we can use the other recording from the first run because the audio was so vastly different. Um, and, you know, he just, he kind of raised the levels and he couldn't really get rid of uh, too much of the, like the, the, the room noises. Uh, and that was a whole other thing was that room was so much noisier than I had anticipated just between the buzzing of the lights, the bar upstairs, their keg room was downstairs. So you can hear the CO2, CO2 popping. Uh, at one point, the show after us came in while I was finishing up and their, they had a bag of balloons and the balloons hit one of the cameras. So you have the sound of a balloon hitting a camera. And those are the kind of things that he couldn't quite eliminate. Um, so that was uh, that was probably the next hurdle was, okay, it's a live album, but it also sounds kind of crazy. Yeah. And he did a lot of the cleanup for that in uh, Isotope RX-6. Yeah. Yeah. Using the free weeks trial of it. Mm-hmm. And we, we have a license for RX-6 and use it here uh, a lot. It's really helpful for taking out reverb and editing out single noises that occur and things like that. You know, I, I take out sirens and stuff like that from time to time on Neil's audio. Yeah. And uh, I, I think it's really impressive that you were able to use the, the one-week trial of that to uh, clean this up a lot. Yeah, and I think that was one of the things. I don't think um, my first editor being my co-producer, I don't know if he entirely knew how to use it because he was just using the trial. So it was one of his first times using it. Uh, and I think if he had a little more experience with it, we could have definitely utilized it better. But for what he did do with it, it already sounded, you know, a hundred percent better than what it did when we first started. Yeah. The way that they do that product is they give a bunch of plugins that learn the audio, process the audio, and, you, you can use the defaults reasonably well mm-hmm. and get pretty far just by clicking through, you know, three default presets and have it deliver the audio. And that's okay. That goes a long way. And, and honestly, 90% of the time, that's what I'm doing too. Yeah. Uh, but they make a, uh, a website for it called the RX cookbook. And you can search the RX cookbook for specific examples of problems like the siren or a cat meow or a door closing or, or, you know, these kinds of noises and they tell you what to do to the presets to take care of those things and quickly teach you the product for the specific problem you're trying to solve for. Yeah, I mean, and that's, that's great. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a very cool thing. Yeah. So, so you, you lost all the audio. You pieced it back together out of, out of recording using the iPhone's mic, which is really quite incredible. What are some of the things that you learned from this? What, what are some of the things that you would do next time differently? Uh, well, I would definitely plan on recording it more than two times. Uh, that was the biggest thing I took out of it uh, was just because that's one of the challenges of um, 
running longer comedy sets in New York is uh, it's there's not a lot of opportunities to run more than ten minutes. So when I ran the half hour the first time, that was pretty much the first time I'd run that half hour, uh, at least the new half hour. So you know I wasn't really thinking ahead too much because again we weren't really planning on making this into an album, so that was kind of the the problem. But you know I would definitely have prepared myself uh, a little bit more to have a couple of runs set up and recorded it maybe three or four times. That's definitely something I would have done. The comics I booked, I would that's something I wouldn't change. I definitely would book them again. And I think another thing would be just I felt a lot of pressure and it was all self-driven, but I felt a lot of pressure to get the album out as quickly as possible. And knowing what I <clears throat> what I know now, I would definitely have just been a little more patient because the next step was going through the the publisher and I chose to use CD Baby and they're very hands-off uh, and so that was a good learning experience for me but I definitely missed a few things you know because I felt like I was rushing through it and I was self-producing this album now through them for the first time ever. So I probably if I could go back I definitely would have been a lot more patient and maybe ask a little more advice <laughs> on how to go through the publishing process. But besides the the overcoming the recording faults and things like that what are the other reasons that you would book two shows for or book three dates for why why would you record more than a couple of times more than once if you knew that you had the equipment all locked down um just you know some jokes just hit differently with different audiences and so by recording two or three times uh you have a chance to Instead of having, okay, I know five out of these 12 jokes are, this is the A material, these are always going to hit, these are always going to be big laughs, you have a chance to get an audience in there that, for lack of a better word, call it the B material, the B material hits like A material, and so then if you have two or three runs of it, and you're lucky enough that every joke hit at least one time through that whole recording, uh, then you can start piecing it together, and it sounds like every single joke was the biggest laugh you'd ever heard. And that being said, we had a great audience on both of them, and specifically the second show, every joke hit really well, but I was also performing mostly in front of friends, so that was another thing, was it'd be nice to get a fresh audience in who maybe hadn't heard me before, uh, because some of the jokes, I know specifically my roommate and my girlfriend were in the audience, and they know these jokes better than anybody, you know, so it's... uh, Tough to to force a laugh when you know the punchline, I guess. But that was one reason I would definitely uh, try and record again, just to try and piece together that that perfect every joke hit set. So how how hard is it to get people to come to these kinds of things? Uh, well, New York specifically, it's difficult because there are eight million shows. <laughs> I mean, there's you could go see seven shows a night if you wanted to, and you probably would have missed some. I mean. That's that's what makes it really hard to fill seats because it's difficult to make uh, the show stand out. And you can book comics that have been on Comedy Central that have, you know, maybe not necessarily been on Netflix because those guys are probably selling out arenas and giant theaters on their own. But you can have TV credited comics. And because you're in New York, no one, no one cares. Everyone kind of takes it for granted. They're like, yeah, I, I just saw a TV credited comic at dinner tonight. You know, he's my friend, that that kind of thing. So no one's really impressed. Uh, and so that makes it really difficult. And just, yeah, just the promotion aspect of it. It's hard to rise above, you know, sure, someone could go see my album recording, but they could also go see Hamilton. <laughs> 
<laughs> and that's that's really what makes it difficult to get butts and seats is most shows don't stand out when you're looking at the broad spectrum of what do I want to do tonight. Right. It's hard to get your show uh, recognized. Now, you said that one of the things that you wouldn't change were the people that you'd booked to, to open for you. Yeah, they, uh, they were fantastic. So I booked, uh, she, she's starting to, she's starting to blow up a little bit. Her name's Caitlin Palufo. I, I booked her to host because she's super high energy, uh, very, very funny. And she's very kind. She has a great uh, point of view and just, she has this, this energy that just really can't be matched. I mean, I've never seen someone perform the way she does and she knows how to work a room so she can gauge the audience. She can figure out, okay, where do, where, where, where is this going wrong? Like what's going right? And she can read them and she can see what they like and she'll hammer it home. And then the second comic was a guy named Joe Para and Joe's a pretty big comic and he's got a really uh, devout following and very unique guy. Uh, he's got a lot of stuff on Adult Swim and I booked Joe because Joe is one of the funniest comics I've ever seen, but he has a very low energy. Uh, so between him and Caitlin, there was this kind of wave of energy and, and laughter that I sort of preemptively calculated thinking, okay, Caitlin's going to come in. She's going to be big. She's going to be loud. She's going to be very funny. And they're going to laugh really hard. And then you have Joe who's going to keep riding that wave. They're going to keep enjoying themselves. A lot of my friends were there just to see Joe because he, (laughs) he's just that funny, which is funny that, you know, that was, that was another thing is. When I booked it a second time, I had to give my friends that went the first time an incentive to come. So I booked Joe Para because just a lot of people love him. And so I knew that, yeah, he would go second. He would not be super high energy. He wouldn't suck the energy out of the room, but he would keep the laughs going. He would keep them in it and people would really enjoy it. And then Caitlin had another minute or two to get the energy back up if she needed to. And then I can kind of ride the momentum of the wave going back up. And then I just go into my set. And it worked perfectly. I mean, that actually worked, <laughs> which was nice to see that that wasn't some crazy theory I had. Uh, and they were just, they were fantastic. Um, you know, and Joe had to, Joe had to also kill a little time on his own and ended up singing Hang On Sloopy, which was just, if, if you're a fan of Joe Para, just seeing him off the cuff start singing Hang On Sloopy was just the best part of the night. <laughs> so, so why did that happen? So, again, my producer is music-based, and in comedy, you know, the way we kind of check each other, make sure you know where you're at during the set. So, if you have a 10-minute set, somebody gives you the light, as we say, at nine minutes usually. And usually what that is, it's just someone turns their cell phone on, and they wave their cell phone at you, so you know that you have one minute left. And Like in the old days, waving a flashlight at you or something so that you'd know that's your time? Yeah, but yeah, basically the the flashlight's been replaced with a a cell phone. And again, because he was wearing so many hats between filming and recording, and he was also teching the show, when he held his phone up, uh, the light wasn't on. And I obviously wasn't paying attention because I'm about to do 40 minutes of (laughs) stand-up. So uh, my, my, my brain was elsewhere. Yeah, you're preparing. Yeah, and I did think at one point, man, Joe's, um, Joe's been up there for a while. And finally, Joe himself was like, hey, um, well, how much time? <laughs> like, how much more time do you want me to do? And that's when Caitlin was like, I don't think the light's on. I looked up and I see, see my producer just shaking his phone. And uh, that's like, oh, so Joe has been up there for about 15 minutes. But 
you know, you wouldn't have known it until he asked, and I'm glad he did, and, and that's what happened. So the positive part was we got him to sing Hang On Sloopy out of it, and everyone kind of got back into it, and yeah, that, that was how it all went. <laughs> yeah, nothing is easy in performing, right? It, there's always going to be something that happens. No, I mean, we could have had 100 people working on this, and I'm, I'm sure something else would have found its way in. Absolutely. Yeah. From from there, you you said you took it to CD Baby. So what, what happened going through CD Baby? Because you said that that was kind of hands-off, and you had to sort of, um, you know, stumble through that. Yeah, so... Um... Well, actually, one one thing I actually I forgot I kind of skipped over this. Uh, before I went to CD Baby, we actually did have a second editor come in, uh, and that was when because we were talking about the uh, RX Isotope, and he actually was a professional audio engineer, so he also used that. And then we ended up being able to clean up some of the things uh, in the recording itself. So I accidentally skipped over that. Yeah, so I was about to go into CD Baby. I was all excited. We just gotten the copy back. And then my girlfriend got home from work and she was like, I was just talking to my friend and I don't know why you don't ask her boyfriend to do it, who I knew. And so he actually did get a hold of it and he spent three weeks on it, cleaning it up um, even more than it already was. So he actually was the one that was able to get out the like air conditioning, the room noise, the, you know, the beer cans opening and all that. And then when he got it back to me, that was when we went into into CD Baby. And so during the time he was uh, editing, I went through, I asked a couple of other comics that had released albums uh, to see who they went through in terms of publishing. And it kind of came down to TuneCore and CD Baby. And they're both great publishing uh, websites, but what it came down to was money. And uh, TuneCore takes a little more out of it, and they have a yearly charge that they make and in my head i was like well i'm not gonna make that much money off this so if i'm gonna be charged yearly i'm gonna end up losing a lot of money uh so i went through cd baby but that was the difference was they're a lot more hands-off um and so it comedy is interesting because it becomes a bit confusing because you're like well is this just comedy like is there a comedy section that i can edit this in or is or i can publish this through and it's you know a spoken word so then you start getting mixed in with the spoken word group which could be yoga it could be poems you know so that was that was also hard to navigate and branding it live also took it to another level i mean it it was it was a lot of stuff that really i really didn't understand while i was going through it (laughs) as you can kind of tell by the way i'm wording this so how how about the promotion of it you've gotten it published you've gotten cd baby figured out how do you promote it? Because it's it's one thing to go ahead and publish something, but if, if no one buys it, you've just got a nice vanity project, right? Right. Well, and that was the part that I, uh, I'm probably the most proud of out of all of it was was the actual promotion because that was another another part where we or where I I made a plan and stuck to that plan and it actually worked out. And so one thing I, I started thinking about was, okay, how like how does this make a dent? Uh, how does this, you know, get any recognition? And I started thinking about who would want to listen to this and who would, on top of that, buy it. And what I really kind of, you know, had this eye-opening moment was, well, you know, it was produced by myself and by friends. The audience was, the majority of them were my friends, you know, uh, the people that were editing it, they were all my friends. And I was like, oh, my friends, my friends and family, they're my fans at this point. Uh, and so I went back to Maryland and 
I decided to consolidate. So the first thing I did was I was like, all right, I'm, I'm only going to promote it through iTunes um, because just personally, I felt that uh, making a dent on iTunes meant more than, than Amazon because iTunes is music. You know, it is, it is comedy. It is all these things. You buy albums, you listen to albums through iTunes, whereas Amazon is everything on the entire planet. And so I wanted to focus everything to be on iTunes and also just breaking into their top 10 was just, would be a really cool thing to do. And so I first consolidated to that. And then I went back to Maryland and I decided to really push home, put, sorry, to really, uh, hammer at home. And lucky, I'm lucky enough that one of my friends from high school is now a news anchor on the local four state channel. And I got a hold of him and he sent me one of their, their journalists. And we put together this really, really cool promotional piece for the, uh, for the album. And she interviewed me and we did that all back home in my hometown. And it was great. I mean, it got the word out to people that I, that probably wouldn't have heard about it otherwise. You know, because unless you're my friend on Facebook or you follow like some very small blogs that were willing to help me out, it's pretty hard to get it out there. You know, it's hard to it's hard to promote this outside of your bubble. So I just decided to stay in my bubble <laughs> and and hope that there were a couple people that just that hadn't really thought of me or I hadn't thought of them that were like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll check this out. And it worked. I mean, it, and it ended up working. It was it was cool. I would get messages from people that I hadn't seen or even people from my hometown that I never even met that just were like, hey, this is so cool to see a hometown guy doing. And that was kind of the goal was to reach out to them. So it was great that we had this plan or I had this plan and it actually came through. And yeah, and then the day of when it actually was released at number one, that was that was the biggest shocker. It was just, oh my God, I made a plan and the plan worked, <laughs> you know, after all the things we had to kind of stumble through with the audio and trying to figure out CD Baby and all these things, the one thing that really worked was the thing that mattered the most, and that was the, the promotion. Yeah, yeah, it was great. Describe for me the moment when you found out that it was number one. Oh, this was uh, such, a, such, <laughs> such a moment to remember. So the original date we wanted to release it was in November, and like I said, that was when we, we, I handed it off to a second editor and he had it then. So I was like, well, I'm not going to rush through this. And so then I decided, well, the album's called Regrets of My Father. So the probably biggest regret my father's ever had was the day I was born. <laughs> wait a minute, <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Oh, okay. Can, I, I know it's on the album. Can you give us a little bit of a teaser about that story? You don't have to do the whole bit, but just give us something to help us understand what that means. Oh, well, I mean, you know, it's purely uh, purely a joke, but, uh, you know, if you look at my four siblings and I, I'm the oldest of four, and, and you know, my, my brother who's right below me in terms of age, he's a, a scientist, and uh, my sister's going to be a teacher, and, well, just looking back, my priorities were never, uh, <laughs> I guess, what, what, what my dad would have preferred. I mean, my dad was a big baseball guy, he's a finance guy. And I spent a lot of my time uh, focusing on, let's say, the arts, <laughs> I guess. And uh, I, I guess the, the biggest moment I think my dad had when he was like, there's something up with this kid, is I, uh, well, I rewrote my own version of the hit play, hit Broadway play Cats. And, <laughs> and I think that was a moment where my dad was like, all right, so he'll probably play baseball for a couple years, but... Um, <laughs> I think his uh, his priorities are going to be elsewhere. 
Yeah, and so that was kind of the, and I just I just thought that out when we first when I first first made up this uh, album title, I just thought it was too funny because um, my dad's always been very supportive, and that is something that that comes around on the album as I talk about him trying to figure out how to raise me as a kid versus you know how supportive he actually was at the very end of it all. Uh, but it just it just thought it was such a good album title for uh, for a comic specifically. You know, and I think a lot of the a lot of the guys and girls that do this can relate to it. Um, but yeah, and so then I decided to release the album on my uh, on my birthday, and there was a little there was a little bit of it to it. It was like, well, it is either going to be a, a day a birthday to remember, or a birthday that I'm very much going to want to forget. And so it's the twentieth, December twentieth, and that was when all of a sudden, you know, I was very confident about everything. I was confident that it sounded good. I was confident about the promotions. And I thought, yeah, we're going to break the top 10. And in the back of my mind, I really wanted to be number one. I was like, I want to be the number one comedy album. That's the goal. But, you know, you don't, you don't I was like, my second goal is top 10, but I really want to be number one. And then all of a sudden, the day of, you know, it's going to be released at midnight. And I just got that feeling in your stomach. And I was like looking at the other guys in the top 10. And like I said, it's guys like Jim Gaffigan and John Mulaney and Adam Sandler. And I was like, how am I going to beat these guys, <laughs> you know? And that just kind of kept growing. And then I had a show that night as well, and the show wasn't very good. And I was like, yeah, this is, this is kind of weird. I don't know. I don't know. And, I was, uh, and there's a, a comedy show around the corner from my, from my apartment, and I was going to go there so I could celebrate with other comics at midnight. And then all of a sudden I thought, no, because if this doesn't even break the top 10, what am I going to do? I'm just going to be stuck there with everybody. And so one of my friends came over, my, uh, my girlfriend was here, and my roommate was here. And we're all sitting around waiting towards, till midnight, and my girlfriend has really long hours, so she had to go to bed. And my roommate, he has long hours, so he ended up going to bed. And my friend had gotten off work, and they had a long day, so they had fallen asleep on the couch. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so I'm sitting here, you know, we're watching a couple of Netflix specials, or we is I at this point. So I'm watching uh, Rory Scovel because it was my favorite special of last year. And it's like 11.58. I'm mentally preparing myself to not be in the top 10, but then to try and still enjoy my birthday. And midnight hits. I go to iTunes and I see my album cover is the insignia for comedy albums on iTunes. And I was like, is that just because this is my iTunes or (laughs) is that a good thing? And so I click on it and I see the charts and I see that I'm number one and I just yell out, oh my God, I'm number one. My my friend on the couch wakes up for a second and just was like, oh, happy birthday. And I was like, no, no <laughs> you don't album's... understand, man. Yeah. Wake up. Yeah. I was like, the album's number one. Yeah. <laughs> so I run into my bedroom and I wake up my girlfriend and I was like, hey, the album's number one. And she's she like, yeah, can I go back to sleep? She's like, oh, happy birthday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so she wishes me a happy birthday. I was like, no, you not, don't, I don't understand. care about my birthday. And she, yeah. And so she falls asleep. Finally, I calmed myself down, and I realized everyone in my apartment's asleep, and I want to celebrate. So I went into my atrium. I went out into the hallway, which connects to all the other apartments in the building, and I put my headphones on. And I brought my computer out, and I ended up just, you know, tweet, tweeting about it and Instagram, putting stuff on Instagram and putting stuff on Facebook, and just having a beer to myself, sitting next to a pile of shoes. And so, you know, you have this idea that you're going to be celebrating and there's going to be champagne everywhere and, you know, there's going to be great music playing and you're just going to be raging 
And instead, you're you sitting shoes. outside next to a yeah. pile of shoes, drinking a beer, watching Netflix on your computer. But uh, I definitely will never forget it. And it was just this feeling where I just, I didn't know how I was going to sleep. I was so excited and I couldn't wait to wake up the next day and then properly celebrate it with everybody when they were awake. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was really, it was really cool. And it, uh, you know, it stayed at number one for the full day. Uh, I kept checking because I was like, oh, there, there's no way it's going to stay there. And it stayed there for 24 hours. The next day it uh, went between two and three, which is also very cool just to stay there. And then stayed in the top 10 for a couple of days, and then and then it uh, very quickly moved <laughs> moved out of the top 10 and out of the charts entirely. But uh, it did a lot better. I mean, just staying in the top 10 for a couple of days was also uh, exciting because I didn't know how long it would stay in there. And then to go from number one and then stay in there, that was, yeah, it was all just unreal. Yeah, I can kind of imagine going and refreshing and just, you know, I got to go check, right? Yeah. I'll be right back. Yeah. I got to go check iTunes. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, being on my phone all day, checking it on, on my phone all day, uh, taking about 10,000 screenshots to make sure it was actually happening, and, you know, and sending it to people being like, this is, this is real, right? This is number one, right? <laughs> Can you just do me a favor and go oh. to iTunes and check for me? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just make sure it's not mine. I want to make sure it's not my computer. It's actually on everyone else's. Although if we could do that, that would be a really fun practical joke. Oh, that'd be horrible. That'd be terrible. That would be, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that would, that, be, that that would be, be funny. Really demoralizing, wouldn't it? Yeah, it'd be funny years later. Like years later, I'd be like, ah, oh, that's a pretty good prank. But uh, it would probably take a couple of, couple of sessions in therapy <laughs> and uh, yeah, a couple of years to distance myself before I'd really find the yeah. humor in it. <laughs> good way to make enemies, though. <laughs> yeah, it's a great way. Probably the best way. This has been a lot of fun for me. I've really enjoyed having you talk to me about this. Um, I, I really think that uh, promotion is probably one of the most difficult parts. You know, the the production and things. Well, I say that, and I'm wrong. But um, writing the material <laughs> and and having good material is probably one of the most difficult parts. And promotion is probably the second most difficult part of it. Yeah, because the funny thing about production is, you know, sure we had a We'll call it a hiccup, if you want to call losing the audio for an album a hiccup. But, you know, the thing is, you'll find people that know how to use the equipment, you know, and kind of like I said, if I did it again, we could have recorded it. Um, but yeah, promotion was definitely difficult. Uh, and there was a lot of guys around the comedy scene that were asking me how we got it out there. And that was some of my advice. I was like, you know, guys, take it, take it to where the audience is, take it to where your fans are. And that, yeah, and... I, I agree with you. Number number one is definitely writing the material because there's a lot of stuff when you're going through it where you're like, well, this is very funny to me. And the longer I do this, I, I do find that if it's funny to me, then it'll be funny to, and I put this in quote, my audience. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it, you know, at first, especially right now, it's a, uh, it's a little, it's a little difficult because yeah, not everything, not everyone is your audience right now. So that whole mentality of, well, this is funny to me. Let me put this up there. So you do have to find kind of, I don't want to say generic, but you do have to kind of find the middle of the road material that you're like, all right, if I'm doing a show in the middle of Pennsylvania, uh, this joke will work. And if I'm doing a sh this joke in a bar show in Brooklyn, this joke will work. You know, a lot of that stuff. Yeah, that more broadly applicable kind of stuff, broadly accessible. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I enjoy it. I mean, the writing process is probably my favorite part because there's nothing better than when you get a new bit and you go and try it out, and it actually works. There's nothing worse when you have a new bit, and you go and try it out, and it's awful. 
but <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing nothing better than when you just you have this idea and you're like, oh man, this is a good one. Uh, I'm really gonna tell this one about. Uh, oh God, I don't know. I, I'm, that's the other thing. It's not the albums that I'm in I'm back in the writing process trying to create new jokes. And like the other day, I wrote something about you know wh- what uh, what your salad dressing, what kind of salad dressing you you use, and what it means about oh, no. you. And it was just it was just the worst. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's nothing better. Not, than not the first dressing. time I've heard things about salad dressing like that. You know what what Russian dressing says about you, or what French dressing says about you, versus vinaigrette kind of thing. Yeah, I mean that's kind of what the whole thing was, and you know it was a good writing exercise, I guess, <laughs> if anything. But I don't know. It's funny. It's 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 funny to be writing again now that the album's out because again it it did well, but. It's not like I'm going to walk into a lot of these shows and people are going to be like, oh, no, he's telling the jokes from the album. <laughs> you know, I'm not – yeah, it's not like uh, – it's, like, it's not like when you see some of the huge comics and you're like, oh, man, he's doing that from the Netflix special. No one's saying that to me about the album. So I can still tell all of those jokes. I can still work on them. I can even make them better than what some people actually heard them if they did listen to the album. But, you know, it's, there is this kind of thing in the back of my mind where I'm like, I'm a fraud. I need to do new material. I got to tell new jokes tonight. Well, <laughs> and so, I mean, that, that, different. that material still has legs, like you say. But um, yeah. I, I think it's important to not let that material define you. That you, you want to, instead of trying to write something that's like that because that was successful, you, you have to be bold enough to write something new and different from that otherwise you sort of get trapped by trying to repeat what you did that was original before yeah i agree that is definitely something i'm going through right now um because i i do a lot of storytelling and a lot of my jokes hinge on one another to make sense which so when i'm doing a lot of short sets when i'm doing seven to ten minute sets it's tough to get all that in there but when i do these longer sets it works because you know i have a joke about my dad that hinges on a joke about my brother that hinges on a joke about my girlfriend and uh i living together that hinges on a joke I have about Michael Phelps. You know, I mean, it's it's this weird through line through most of it. So that's now that I'm writing again, it's um, it's tough to go, well, that's a joke about somebody being drunk, and I already had a joke about somebody being drunk. So I'm going to basically be doing the same impression in the same voice and the same mannerisms. And yeah, so I'm trying to start thinking outside of, of that material because that album specifically, I think, was about growing up uh, right now in New York, being in my 20s and what that means versus when my dad was in his 20s. And that whole kind of dynamic of what what is success now? What is being an adult? You know, do you have to do all these things? Do you have to check off all the, check all the boxes to make sure that you're the adult now? You know, or can I wait till I'm 35 to be technically an adult? <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. So yeah, now I'm trying to write material beyond that what's what's next and it's definitely tough because you just want to kind of sit back and you want to do the same stuff you were already doing and tell the same goofy jokes but you do need to grow and you know it makes me respect music a lot when these guys come out with albums and they're wildly different from the last one those are the the difficult ones right it's it's so easy to get trapped into trying to emulate what you did before that was successful right and and i also understand the difference between comedy and music the big thing with comedy is there's a certain brand that you're attracted to a, a comic because you relate to them or you like that brand. And so I don't want to go too far outside of, of the Will Abel's brand, so to speak, because then 
someone's gonna be like, wait a minute, why is he doing that? And you know, it's it's tough because you're 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 on that balance of well, I want to do something new and different and edgy, but I also don't want someone to come in and go, oh man, he really fell off or. You know, I liked when he told stories, and now he's doing one-liners, and he's really bad at that. I liked when know? he told stories, and now <laughs> so, he's doing physical comedy with watermelons. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It, or it's like, yeah, it's like, I, okay, well, we'll just say it's a one-man show <laughs> instead of comedy now. Maybe that'll make up for it not being funny yeah. anymore. You know, that kind of thing. No, let's not do that. Let's keep it being funny. Yeah, I'll do my best. I think for, for everyone's sake, I'll do my best cool. on that one. You know, what, what would you like people to do most? Do you want people to go to your website? Do you want to go to iTunes and, and have them buy the album? How would you like to tell people to, to, to follow up on this? Um, well, where I'm at now, I mean, if anyone wants to buy the album, I'm, I'd be ecstatic for you to keep buying the album. But once, uh, once the pre-sales end and the actual, you know, the, it's, it's out for wide release, I really think that streaming is where it uh, starts you start moving into focusing on the streaming specifically because it gets the numbers up there. And when you get on the sites like, uh, you know, like Spotify and Apple music, it starts floating around. You get attached to playlists and it just, it, it broadens uh, the, the amount of people that it can actually reach. So, you know, I wouldn't check it on my website because my website is embarrassingly bad. Uh, <laughs> that is uh, that's a year goal is to update the website. It's just, you know, there's good WordPress sites, and then there's my website. And, <laughs> and, and I, honestly, I don't even know if they could find it if they went to my website because it's so hard to navigate because I just did not set it up well at all. So, yeah, I, honestly, if you just type my name in, there's I'm the only Will Abel's doing comedy. Uh, I did notice that when you type Will Abel's into iTunes, though, you find my name and my album – and then you find a lot of uh, gospel music and Christian rock music because I think every album in the gospel or uh, Christian rock genre says willing and able at some point. So if you put so, gospel into your show, <laughs> yeah, like then I, you'll I pick the, up all those people I, too. I, I yeah. the whole thing on lock. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I get the willing and able Sweet. crowd. <laughs> but yeah, I would just stream it. I mean, check it out. You know, if, if you like it, you can buy it, but, uh, it, you know, it really helps to get those numbers up and get it, get some exposure with it and get it moving around. Fantastic. Well, I, I really appreciate you giving us the time to talk about this. I, I want to thank you for going into details on the audio production side, especially with the hiccup. It's, um, it's not always easy to talk about, uh, where there have been problems and I, I appreciate your being open about yeah, that. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, I also like to talk about it because there, sometimes you do listen to it and you're like, oh, I really thought it would have sounded this way. But then when you hear the backstory, you're like, oh, wow, I can't believe it sounded like that. So, so I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always open to talk about it. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, yeah, but you should have heard it before. <laughs> yeah, if you'd heard it the first night. <laughs> That's actually what I said to a couple people. Um, and I do have a few friends that listened to it when it was just on my iPhone. And they even said, they're like, oh, yeah, it. It's it's pretty impressive what what both your editors did and what you guys turned out, but uh, when you only hear the one time, you're like, oh, okay. But you know, I still think it sounds great. I think you've got a lot to be proud of. I mean, you made it to number one on iTunes with all of these troubles in place, and I I yeah. am looking forward to what you do next. Oh, thank you. I'll make sure uh, make sure you know about it. Fantastic. <laughs> thank you so much, Will Abels, everybody, and. Uh, we will be back next week with another episode of the Apple Insider Podcast. 
Well, this has been the Apple Insider Podcast, episode 160. I'm your host, Victor, and joining me has been Neil, internet famous nerdy guy, Hughes. <laughs> Very famous, let me tell you. And humble and nerdy. Very, yes. Don't forget. If you but want to reach us, if you want to reach us, please write to news at appleinsider.com. Please tweet at mm-hmm. us. Yeah. I'm at VMarks. Neil, you're in? I am uh, so famous that I have a verified Twitter account, and I am at this is Neil. Well, there you go. We we are mm-hmm. all in awe of that. <laughs> you have one too. <laughs> I'm still in awe of that. <laughs> well, there you go. Aren't you special? That means when you tweet at a celebrity, they get a notification. They know that you're harassing them. Yes. We will be happy to hear from you, happy to respond to you. And we're also happy when you leave us positive reviews on iTunes. So thank you so much for that. Thank you for listening. We will be back with more next week. <laughs>